Pew Bibles. It's page 1159. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Or do uh, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, known and ready by everybody? You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence as that this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all believe in miracles. We've been thinking, in a sense, about miracles in these last few weeks, right? If you want to put us in Christmas, when we think of the beginning of that great miracle, when Jesus comes, when God takes upon himself human flesh and enters into our world to its fulfillment, to its display at Easter on the cross, we are a people of miracles. Miracles is all that we are. When God enters into the world to do something, that the world could never do. We see miracles all around us every day in our own lives, worldwide. And even in the last week, dare we say, it, we've been blessed to see before our eyes unfold one of the great miracles that many of us have been praying for, when after two years of silence and unanswered prayer, perhaps, uh, Stormont was brought back to life. Miracles happen. And yes, we can joke about storming, but we do see every day and every day in the most normal of places, the work of God in the world, in God's people, in God's church, in this church. Miracles, seen and unseen, assumed almost. But I wonder if you ever stop to think of what the greatest miracle of God is, the greatest work of God is in our lives in our world today is it some sort of divine display of power and majesty some mass healing where lots come to faith or where lots are saved is it some thing that will capture a headline perhaps the billy graham at rallies of ages past or is it here is it in each of us we long, in a sense, to see miracles and to have miracles to say to people, this is God. And yet we miss, perhaps, what is the greatest miracles often. Us. That we who are far off from God are, are brought near to God by grace through faith. That we who were once dead are now alive, as the scriptures tell us, by grace. It is the most powerful of miracles, and it is the most beautiful of miracles, and it's the most surreal of miracles, because we so often miss it, that in each of us, in each of us, there is a work of God 
that is testified to by the presence of God and the Holy Spirit who dwells in our lives, who empowers our living. We are miracles of grace. And we testify to the world what God has done and what God is doing. One person says, Within each of us exists the image of God, however disfigured or corrupted by sin it may presently be. But God recovers that image through grace as we are conformed to Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And why talk about it? Because we're reminded so clearly of it in our passage this morning that we are great works of God by faith and we are continuous works of God. He is at work in you. Wherever you have come from, whatever age you are, whatever you have done or have left undone, whatever your week has been, God is with you, God is for you, and God is at work in you in a miraculous way as he takes the grace of Christ and the faith of Christ by the power of the Spirit and works in us that life, which is the life of the kingdom. This is Paul's fourth letter to this young church in Corinth. We have two uh, recovered and recorded. Uh, so we know it as 2 Corinthians because it's the second one we have, but it's the last in a sequence of letter from Paul to this rather difficult church. There has been rebellion. There has been open sin. There has been fallouts and tribalism in the church. Even then, some 2,000 years ago, Paul has had to minister, to discipline, to rebuke, to, to recall people to faith. And now in this last letter, what we begin to see is that he's been himself facing some criticism. People are questioning his ministry and his motivation because actually he doesn't seem to be that good of it. He's not successful in the world's eyes. He's not rich and wealthy. He's not influential in culture. And so there are some in the church in Corinth who start to think and who start to say, oh, this man isn't called by Jesus. He's not an apostle. He's far off from God. Look at him. He's been shipwrecked. He's been arrested. He's poor. He has suffered, they say. He has suffered. And so because he has suffered, he's obviously not from God because God would not want those he's called to minister for him to suffer in this way. It's a sign that he's not a real messenger of God. So we should listen to someone else as what they've been saying. Because of the difficulty he's faced and because Paul has sort of pursued through it, his opponents are saying, He's, he's not the real messenger. We need to listen to someone successful. We need someone whose evidence will be that they're wealthy and comfortable. And what's the issue here? They're judging the kingdom of God by the standards of the world. They're ignoring the teachings of Jesus that they've been given already and judging Paul and the life and his ministry by a different standard that he will never conform to. And what does Paul do in the face of severe opposition? He defends his ministry and he preaches the good news of Jesus. He defends his ministry and he preaches the gospel. He preaches Christ crucified. Why? Because it was the authentic 
message. It was the only message. It was what Christ had come and proclaimed. It was what the apostles had received and given, and he had been commissioned to preach on the Damascus Road as there Jesus encountered him. And so they proclaim it in unity, whether it's Paul or Peter, whether it's in Corinth or Ephesus, whether it's in Rome or Jerusalem, it is the same wisdom and words that by faith we are saved. And it is the same message that Paul preaches here and uses here to remind the church that they have received the true word of God, that they are miracles of grace. They are living letters of grace. You could break this letter down into three sections. And in this first section where we really are based in the middle of chapters 1 to 7, Paul is dealing with the attacks on his ministry. We're right at the beginning of this section where he's defended his life. He's defended the message. He's defended the witness. And now he has finished with a beautiful image in chapter 2. We are the aroma of Christ to God, he writes, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And it's hard to be attacked. It's hard to be criticized, especially for Paul when you're being an authentic follower of Jesus, when he loves the Lord and he wants people to encounter that love. What it must have been like to be sniped at and to be snipped at by people who were opposed to the very work of God in the world. They questioned his motivations. They questioned his ministry. They questioned his competency. Oh, he's not a real apostle, they would have said of him. Look at him. Look at how pathetic he is. He's a weak preacher, one would write in other letters. He suffers far too much. This cannot be a servant of the Lord. And yet Paul finishes chapter 2, interestingly, with an image of contrast horse in ours. What does he say? For we do not market the word of God for profit. Like so many. On the contrary, we speak sincerely in Christ as from God and before God. We do not market the word of God for profit like so many. What is it that his opponents have been saying? He's not successful. Or as Paul says here, those are successful because they're not being true to Jesus, they're profiting from Jesus. Whereas here, with sincerity as people who have been sent from God and who will one day stand before God, we speak Christ. And what is it that we have, I have spoken has done? We see that in our first three verses. It has borne the fruit of grace in the life of this church, in the life of 2 Corinthians, even in such opposition, even in such hostility, Paul says, you are the witness to the realness of this message. I think if I was to chat with us one-to-one, one process of all of us will agree that it's not that enjoyable is finding a job, especially today, especially in the real world where you spend hours and hours searching online now, trying to find an advert or something that vaguely fits your skills or interests. You flick through the papers, you look at online adverts, you try to figure out what you could apply for and what your skills might uh, match. And then you have to go away and either create a CV or find your old CV and update it to somehow 
turn your skills into what the job description is looking for. This, the second part of that process, and perhaps worse uh, for me anyway, is when you have to get a referee, a reference. Nobody likes finding a referee, a reference. And then they tell you, you can't use your family, you can't use friends. Uh, so who do you turn to? Especially the thought that goes into my head is, well, anyone I'm going to ask to reference me is only going to say good things or agree with me. No one's ever going to be so honest as to say, well, I'm not really sure Andrew's really competent or cut out for this job. I mean, he's a nice fella, but he actually doesn't have the computing skills that you see on his CVs. He'll work hard, but he's also hard work. No, re no one is ever going to fill in a reference like that. When we ask people to reference us, to referee us, uh, they'll only ever say positive things. I hope so. And if we don't like finding referees, then it's even harder perhaps to be a referee. And you get that form through and it asks you, what is your view uh, on Andrew's character? Andrew's skills, Andrew's qualities. Hmm, I'm not sure Andrew would be a great fit for this role, we could say, but he's a really nice fella. <laughs> Thank you. But he might go on a bit in this preaching. He likes the sound of his own voice. He's not very funny, but he means well. How would we referee? Paul here. Ask that question right at the beginning. Do you want me to commend ourselves again to you? Do you want me to find references that somehow will answer the questions and critiques that you have laid at me? Do you want me to go away and get a letter? Or do you want me at some point to ask from you for a letter to bring to other churches? What do you want, says Paul in the face of opposition? What do you need from me? He's asking sarcastically. Do they want him to go and get the other apostles and uh, write a letter from them? Or do they want to get on with the work that they've been called to? And we have that contrast then between the false preachers who profit from the word of God and the kingdom of God at the end of chapter 2 and the authentic preaching here where Paul knows under which the authority has come and will continue in. He doesn't boast in it. Because it's the kingdom of God where we have been humbled. We are the sick who need a doctor. We do not boast in our sickness. We boast in the great healer. We boast in the great physician. And it's by grace that we are saved through faith, not position or prestige. So Paul doesn't laud his own credentials. He doesn't say here, I am a great theologian. I am a Jew of Jews. I am of a pure bloodline of the tribe of Benjamin which he would have once said when he was a Pharisee. Rather, he repoints and turns these people to their own lives and fruits. You are my reference, he says to them. Look at what the Lord has done in your lives. Look at the fruit he is bearing in this church and in your worship. Look and see the great miracle of grace. You are living letters. Who is Paul's reference 
for his ministry, for his faithfulness, for his preaching, and the message that he has preached. Those who stand in opposition to him, because they might be confused, they might be wrong, but they are still bearing fruit. It's a beautiful image. It's a hopeful image for us as a church family, because we are all sinners. We are all sick in need of the Savior. And even in our sickness, God is at work and bearing fruit even in the mess of our lives and in our worship and in our gatherings and in our goings, we can be confident that God is at work. You are yourselves, are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. We are living letters of grace. And as we live in the world and as we go into the world, as people see us, they are reading that letter of life and seeing the author. Who? The Lord Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And so we are humbled. It is not my skills that qualifies me to preach or to teach. It's not my gifting. It's the Lord Jesus. It's not your skills or competency in one area that will gift you or qualify you to serve in the church or in the kingdom of God. It is the Lord Jesus, who humbles us, who calls us. And here we see simply the cross is our commendation and Christ's ascension is our vindication. It's what sends us into the world confident and free from trying to please the world, to live for him and to know him and to make him known. It's a beautiful image. We are freed from that sense to please others as we live for one and as Paul continues, that's his point, that the church in Corinth growth here in faith and fruitfulness, even amid their opposition, even amid their difficulties and their tribalism and their falling out with one another, with their arguing with one another, God is at work in them. He's producing fruit in them, genuine fruit. And that's why Paul is so cheerful here about their faith and its realness. If someone was to ask Paul how he could be sure he is the real deal, he says, look at this church. Look at these people of grace. Living letters of faith, written by the hand of God, bearing fruit in the world. And today, 2,000 years later, here in St. Paul and St. Barnabas, it is the same truth. How do we know that God is at work in us? Look at your lives. Look at our fruit as a church family. God is at work because we see it every day in the common grace that is in our lives and the fruit that comes from our lives, our witness, our worship together. We are growing in faith and we are producing the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's retort to them is you yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter everyone can see and see God. When we truly follow Jesus, when we live for him and with him and we live out the ethics of the kingdom in, and the rhythms in our normal days, it will be beautiful to a weary world. Because as they look to us, they see life being written, continuously written by the hand of the Holy Spirit who is shaping our hearts, who is shaping our living, whether we are in the most normal places in the shop with family or friends, God is there. 
and at work in us and through us. And when we prioritize our relationship with him, when we put off the old ways of, of malice and sin and tribalism, and we put on the new robes of righteousness, when we come and live in that relationship by prayer, through the word of God, through gathering worship, through seeking of the spirit, through lifting Jesus to be the center of our lives, then the writing becomes all the more clear. It's not a fancy letter or a complex letter. It's simple. And that's what Paul says again when he writes, Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives, and we are publishing it, as Eugene Peterson phrases it. That's Paul's closing point here in this section. Grace is a gift of God to us and affects our lives every day as we live with Him. How do we know God is there? The Holy Spirit is with us. He gives us that grace. He sustains that grace, and He makes real that grace in our lives and in our living. And that is what it means to be Christ's letter, written with the Spirit of the living God. Long before Paul writes here, the prophet Ezekiel would write, A new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And as Paul then teaches that he is a minister of the new covenant, that is the image that he is drawing to. This great work of God in our life, this great affirmation of faith, and we see that in, in the last two verses, 4, 5, and 6, 4 to 6. Paul is boasting that he does not need to boast, that by grace we are saved through faith, and we are confident not because of anything we have done or will ever do, but because of what has been done for us at 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill where Jesus died for our sins. And in his dying, he destroyed death and in his rising, restored life so that we could live with him and for him. That is the new covenant of which we are all ministers of which and in which we are all competent and are called to know and to go with and to make known. And so as we draw to a close, let us embrace that profound truth that we as a church family are living letters of grace penned by the hand of God himself. Our lives are transformed by the miracle of this gospel if we come to him by faith, as we bear witness to the enduring power of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, that letters that live are read as they are experienced by the world and seen by the world around us. In a world yearning for hope, when they see us living with Christ and for Christ, they see something to hope in. And so our very existence as followers of Jesus, as people who have been made new through his grace, is a testament to his work and the authenticity of his message. It's a beacon of hope in a fracturing world. It's a consistency in an inconsistent world. And it is the gospel of Christ crucified of which we are heralds. We proclaim in word and deed 
and as we proclaim it, so may we live it. This is our call this day, to go from here and to reflect on the beauty of the gospel and share it by life as a living invitation. The letter God is writing in us is an invitation that he sends out with us to the world so that all might know him and the beauty of life with him. Think of that great hymn. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that's sprinkled with the blood so freely shed for me, Charles Wesley writes and closes in the last verse. The nature, gracious Lord, in part, come quickly from above, write thy new name upon my heart, thy new best name of love. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are alive and at work in this world, that in a world looking and searching, that we have been blessed to find. And so, Lord, make real in us the miracle of grace. Make real through us the hope of grace. And we ask that you would take our hard hearts and soften them as you write in them by your Spirit the gospel of grace and a letter, living letter of invitation to the world. And so, Lord, we ask that as we gather here, you would take us to here and send us from here to know you and to make you know, not for our sake we pray, but for yours. In Jesus' name.